Welcome to Church in the North, a podcast by ministry leaders and for ministry leaders. I'm your host, Rob Chartrand, the Program Coordinator for Christian Ministry at Briarcrest College. And I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff Dresser, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Rob. And, of course, Dan Goddard, Lead Pastor of Victory Church in Moose Jaw. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Well, I'm feeling a little sleepy this morning, uh, as you guys can see. I was up... uh, Pretty late last night, uh, working on a turkey soup that I had to finish because the weather changed outside of Musha and it it thawed. I won't go into the details, but uh, yeah, I was up pretty late. So this morning, I'm dragging my butt here into the studio, and I'm pretty tired. Um, We're here for you, though. Yeah, we'll, we'll fire yeah, up. Yeah, but you know what I'm thankful for? Coffee. I am so thankful for coffee. Uh, do you guys drink coffee? Do you drink a lot of coffee or a little coffee? What is a lot of coffee and what is a little coffee? I actually drink one or two cups a day. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so not a lot, I would say. Yeah, teetotaler. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mostly I start my day with a coffee. That's the big, big mm. deal. And then after that, might have another one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Jeff, what about you? I just want to preface my comments by stating that I could quit any time. <laughs> so, um, I, I, uh, three is... Uh, you know it's good, but if it's a if it's a rough day, more than three. Mm-hmm. And okay. but I have switched to decaf after. I'll have it like a one or two o'clock in the afternoon coffee. But uh, after that, if I'm going to have any more, I have to switch to decaf because. Oh wow. Yeah, I used to be able to you know pound back a coffee you know up to six or seven p.m. and I'd still get to sleep. But uh, I don't know. I'm getting old. Mm. Things are just <laughs> uh, falling apart. Yeah, well, I'm I'm ashamed to admit I drink a lot more coffee than you guys. <laughs> Still, I I I think I I start the morning with a coffee. As soon as I get up, the coffee's on. Drink a cup, and then while I'm getting ready, I drink. I'm drinking another cup, or while I'm reading, yeah. reading, uh, I'm drinking a, another cup. Uh, so before I'm out the door, I've drank two cups of coffee. Um, right. Yeah, then I get into the office, and I'm carrying my, co- you know. Uh, a coffee with me, and then I have another one in the afternoon, and then I might have another one after supper, depending on how I'm feeling. So, but I can't do it late at night because I'll fall asleep. So, yeah, <laughs> I won't fall asleep. You won't, won't fall asleep. Yeah, won't okay. fall, won't okay. fall asleep. I, I think you, you can get to the point where you're so dependent on the caffeine that you need one to, to sleep. Yeah, that's so. true. Yeah. Well, I've heard that the effects of caffeine actually, after a while, if you do too much, it doesn't actually affect you. It's yeah. it's actually um, all it does is just keep you at a normal level. It doesn't like give you an up sure, up yeah. level. Do you guys ever get the jitters though from too much caffeine? Go ahead, Jeff. Well, I, no, I don't get the the jitters from too much. But you're this reminds me of a story. I remember when Rick Warren did the the water project. Oh yeah, okay. uh, where the idea was that you um, you only drink water for a month or whatever, and then the money you would spend on coffee, you you donate that to they had clean water projects, and so uh, church I was serving at we we went whole hog into the water project, <laughs> and so the lead pastor he went from like three or four Tim's large double doubles a day oh to water. Wow. And that was like, we were terrified of him. (laughs) (laughs) He was not like, he was not only missing the caffeine, but like the sugar and the fat from like that double double. So he was, uh, it affected his personality. Let's, uh, let's put it that way. Wow. So, so is there a limit? Like, is there like, when is too much, too much when it comes to coffee? What do you guys think? Dan, any thoughts on that? 
Well, probably if you're if you do get the jitters and you find it hard to focus. I know, like for me, I'm high energy when I'm preaching. I've got adrenaline just flowing. Right? Yeah. So if I drink too much coffee before I preach, then it just it's too much. Mm. Like I am just mm. so wired that yeah. uh, it's not good. Right? I'm not focused. Yeah. So there's a you know again a, just a, a right amount. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, what's your guys' go-to coffee? Um, are you like, don't do any brands like Starbucks and, or make your own like special grind your own stuff? Or do you, are like this morning I'm, I'm holding a Tim Hortons coffee in my hand, slumming it with Tim Amazing. Hortons. Amazing. Truly Canadian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I get the beans from Costco. So other, other okay. Costco fans that do this, I get the green bag and the red bag and I, alternate between them are they starbucks are they Costco? are they kirkland they're, they're starbucks yeah okay, they're kirkland okay. starbucks something, okay something. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah 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 and uh we live off those and then we use a grind and brew at home so it's a machine that does hmm. grinds them and then brews them so i can set it up the night before and uh i set it to whatever my wake-up time is and then it brews it so when i wake up in the morning i can yeah. just pour my coffee that's a big bag though doesn't it like get stale by the time you get <laughs> halfway huge. through it you know they stay pretty good but and, and fresh we fry a lot at a time yeah. Yeah. yeah okay it still contains them the as long as and that. yeah you keep them sealed right yeah and then once you open them then they do dry out so you want to use it use it right away in reasonable yeah. time yeah. yeah jeff do you have any special coffee preference are you a coffee snob you uh, strike me as a coffee snob you know what? There are. Um, I will gladly drink like camp coffee if I'm if I'm at. I don't know. There's something uh, enjoyable about that. But uh, I have my home. I'm the only person at the house who drinks coffee, so I have a, oh. an espresso uh, machine. Okay. And I also have one at my office at school. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I do those those pods. So, so for. That puts me, I think, in the upper range of the sort of the snob scale. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but it's comforting for me, at least, to know that there are people who look down uh, at me with my pod. Yeah, there's another uh, level. Coffee machine, yeah. there's another level. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys ever had cowboy coffee before? Uh, my my father-in-law took me out, took us out camping. We were all camping together, and he found this recipe for cowboy coffee online, and he tried it. So it's it's basically you're putting the boiling water on right. the fire and you're putting the coffee grounds right in um coarse ground and it just rolls and it rolls and it rolls and it rolls and then um and then you throw a little bit of cold water on top and then all the grounds rise to the top and then you just take and you can wipe them out and then you have this and it's actually i thought wow this has got to be terrible coffee and he was using edwards like edwards ground <laughs> coffee and i'm like this can't be good yeah. but it was amazing yeah, yeah. A, a cowboy coffee if you've ever had it before it's, well when you're camping if you, ever you get a chance you probably need it so bad whatever it is <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just desperate strain right? it with yeah. your teeth uh, <laughs> I used to bring a Bodum camping, and that would be my, my camp coffee. <laughs> yeah, or I would bring like the little Starbucks instant packets if I was yeah. really desperate, yeah. if I couldn't get uh, yeah. I couldn't get good we coffee. Drink, uh, we call it missionary coffee in our family. We, we put a Starbucks into a bottle of water. Okay. You know, one of those Starbucks yeah. uh, instant, and uh, just shake it up and drink away. Cold. Yeah, lukewarm usually. Oh, yeah. Nice, <laughs> nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pour-over guy. I'll do a pour-over. That's kind of like as... as um, upper crust coffee drinking as I, I get around our place. Um, I, I don't like drinking from a pot and then it gets, you know, gross after a little while. It's a very different flavor. So I'm a pour over kind of guy. 
Um, hey, uh, today's topic, uh, we're going to be talking about um, navigating church struggles uh, in our later podcast, uh, later part of this podcast. Leading a church can be challenging. Um, and, and I know that from experience. Sometimes there's stuff going on inside, stuff you're wrestling with personally, and you, you have to ask the question, well, who do I talk to? Like, do I talk to my elders? Do I talk to, you know, my district superintendent? Um, do I talk to people in my own church or don't I? I know there's different rules around that, you know, that, that people have. Um, what do you guys think? I mean, when, when a pastor's dealing with struggles, who are they going to go talk to? Who would you guys talk to? Dan, who are you? Hey, um, yeah, I mean, it's an important question and, and a challenging one. Uh, my my first answer is uh, you better make friends with people in your church because mm. those are the people you're doing life with. Mm. Like, those are the people you're around. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, leadership is is lonely for sure, but we can be intentional about just saying, I'll take the risks. I'll mm. I'll. I'll make friends. And so I do, I challenge myself and other pastors to do that. And just say, you know, these are the people God's brought around my life. And I know there's inherent risks and I know Mm -hmm. there's challenges that come with that, but I'm not going to let that be an excuse to just not make close friends in my church. And sometimes those are elders and sometimes those are just other folks and whoever you connect with and find a a true friendship with. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you get hurt. Yep. Sometimes yeah. you do, but you do in every kind of friendship. Yeah. So that that'd be my sort of initial challenge, and yeah. and I know there's nuance after that with you know what, how much can you share, what areas can you share, and all of that. But yeah, well, yeah. Let, I mean, let me let me put a kind of a litmus test out there. You you are having a personal struggle with one of your elders. Yeah. Who do you talk to in your church? Yeah, and I, I would still say friends. Okay. Um, but you'd have to be careful about naming yeah. and how you share and so on. Um, But I I just do think you need friends. And Mm. I think it's even dangerous to, you know, sort of say, well, my wife is my only friend and I'll just share everything with her and that kind of thing. So, but, but I also would say, so let me caveat this. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit radical there. I do think you need friends outside the church too. Yeah. And uh, it's great to find peers, pastors or leaders who are in a different environment. Um, And it's great just to have Friends yeah. that are that are not connected to your work mm-hmm. environment, and so it, to me, it's a both and yeah. deal, not an either or deal. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, how about you, Jeff? Any thoughts on that? I just don't have struggles. That's that's my <laughs> strategy. No, no struggles. <laughs> no friends. Just just bury it deep in you know with all the rest of the hurt. You know, it'll be fine. No, no. I I it comes I, out one day. I think having. Uh, I mean, I have a few. Uh, you know, trusted. Uh, you know, mentors and and friends outside of the church um, that that I can go to with anything without having to have that um, you know that sense of like I felt it, when sharing things with friends within the church I don't want to burden them with with things that um, that maybe they just aren't equipped to mm-hmm. to process and and yet I know that like I need to I need to to talk about things with, with someone sometimes to work through them. So, so I have some good friends, uh, who are, who are outside of, you know, my own church or my own work environment. And, uh, and the, the caution there is, uh, sometimes those friendships can sort of devolve into gripe sessions that are actually, um, productive and, and helpful and sort of leading towards, uh, towards healing, so so that's a that's a caution hmm. there too. That, uh, that there's so, sort of a a joke uh, I have that uh, 
it's not even really a joke, but uh, you guys might think it's funny. It's, it goes like this. So, you sure hope uh, you think so, it's funny. Uh, t- two worship pastors got together and didn't say anything bad about their lead pastor. Anyway, that's, that's, the, that's, <laughs> nice. the, that's the whole joke. Yeah. Pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of in both spaces. Like, I, I, I agree you need to have good friends in the congregation. So, I, I mean, I had a one of our elders in particular that I would spend a lot of time with yeah. walking through issues in the church. Um, uh, but I, there were some things I just thought I, I couldn't talk about it inside the context of the church. Um, per, probably maybe more personal sure. garbage that I'm dealing with yeah. in my own soul. And so I had some lifelong friends who lived in the city and weren't attending my church, right. weren't attending yeah. another church. Yeah. And I thought, okay, this is a safe place I can talk to. Um, and so that, that's kind of where I would, I kind of had these different zones for different conversations. Right. But if I was struggling with like stuff within the church, I mean, I'd go to my elder and we'd, we'd spend some time talking about it. I agree with you though, about the spouses thing. I mean, that's, that's pretty important. If, if your spouse, I think if your spouse is the only person you're talking to and sharing with, I mean, first of all, they're, they might be your biggest fan. And so they might not tell you what you really (laughs) need to hear. And secondarily, I, I think that's a lot of weight. It's a lot of weight. Exactly. Right. Especially if everything you're carrying, you you're yeah. you're sharing with your spouse, which I I mean, which I, I don't do. I mean, I'm, I'm I still want to maintain confidences in in, in, my, in the role. I think that's important. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and counselors can be helpful too. You know, there's yes. sometimes where you just are in a space where you can't feel like you can't share with a friend or don't have anyone to share with, and I think yeah. uh, a counselor can be a, a great option. Mm. Yeah. 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 Great way to unload. Um. Well, this week, our guest is uh, Melissa Ewing, and she's the lead pastor of Redwood Park Church in Thunder Bay. And this is uh, like a super meaningful conversation that we're going to have. And it's a little bit longer, um, but we're talking about some pretty important topics like uh, church reconciliation. Um, We're going to talk about women in ministry, and we're talking about ministry with First Nations peoples, um, because Melissa is uh, First Nations and... uh, so am I. And so we yeah. get down a little deep on that and talk a, uh, a bit about that um, on another level. So thankful for the conversation and uh, look forward to um, seeing you guys' response to it as you listen to it and hearing from our listeners. Guys, thanks for coming in this morning and uh, we'll see you next week. Sounds good. Sounds good, Rob. Well, hey, we are so delighted to have Melissa Ewing, lead pastor of Redwood Park Church in Thunder Bay, Ontario, with us today on the podcast. Uh, Melissa, welcome to Church in the North. Thank you for inviting me. I've been listening and it's been good. Awesome. Hey, uh, I want to talk about uh, your church and your leadership in the church there. Um, But first of all, I want to roll things back and talk a little bit about your story and your calling into pastoral ministry. Uh, So you're not originally from T-Bay. It's not your home stomping grounds. Uh, Tell us about your your journey of how you ended up in Thunder Bay into your current role. Yeah, um, so I'm from the West Coast. Yes. I was born in Vancouver Island. Uh, my husband Jay's from Calgary, but lived in BC for the last 20 years, uh, almost our whole marriage. And so, um, yeah, we had never been to Thunder Bay until we came here for an interview. Mm. Like totally came, came out of the blue. But when I look back, I can see God kind of planting these little seeds and, and markers, direction markers along the way. But, uh, yeah. it actually, it started actually, um, 
when you and I were participating on another podcast. So you oh, really? were yeah, okay. part of the beginning of this, actually. We, uh, um, the, uh, a podcast a number of years ago um, in Winnipeg uh, and with Nathan Westlake at Portage La Prairie, Mm-hmm. Uh, um, who I think has been on, he has been on this podcast. Yeah. 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 He came in on one yeah, of our earlier Yeah. Yeah. Episodes. So anyway, Nathan, uh, that was the first time that Nathan and I had met. And as we began talking, um, realized we had the same heart for indigenous reconciliation and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And then, um, here at Redwood, they're out without a lead pastor. And so Nathan came in and did some interim work. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, realize that this church needs a lead pastor and also needs somebody to really lean into discipleship and spiritual formation, and uh, and then the Lord reminded him of us, <laughs> me and my husband. Um, he's our spiritual formation pastor, and so it was him who reached out to us and kind of said, "Hey, uh, not sure what you guys are up to these days, but I'm doing some work in Thunder Bay, and there's yeah. a role here or a couple roles here. We think you'd be perfect for them, and." Um, one is for a lead pastor and Melissa, I think you'd be suited for this and Jay spiritual formation. And this is in your wheelhouse. Hmm. And I think the thing that really surprised us at first beyond Thunder Bay is that Jay and I had been discerning our unique calling as pastors. Right. Um, at our last church, I was a family pastor, uh, but really was feeling called to preach, um, hmm. Got to, to to lead organizationally those types of things, yeah. And so it was kind of hitting a, a frustration point. <laughs> However, as Jay and I started looking around at different different jobs in different churches, um, more often than not, um, they were looking at Jay for the lead pastor role, and right. me in the pastoral care shepherding role. Hmm. And um, that is not how we're wired. Jay can preach, but it yeah. doesn't give him energy to do it week after week. And I can provide pastoral care, but it does drain me. Uh, and so, yeah, so this was really the first church that came and said, like, we have these roles and we didn't have to convince them <laughs> that right. you should be looking at it differently. Um, yeah. They approached us first. Yeah. And then we flew here and um, our kids came too because we wanted to, if we're going to make this big move and we're all from the West Coast, we want to make sure our kids, are they see where we're moving and they're in it. And uh, by the end of the weekend, even our kids were saying, we sense the Lord is calling us here. One, in fact, my, my daughter, who was 13 at the time, was like, oh, I don't want to say it because it means we're going to have to move. But I think God's calling us here. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those teenage years are, are a difficult time to to move a family for ministry, aren't they? Because that's when they're, they have these really tight connections with their friend groups. Yes. Yeah. 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 And then one of the cool things was... Um, when I first came here, Nathan continued walking with our church okay. um, for about six months. And so me as a brand new learning to be a lead pastor, um, Nathan, who's been doing it for years and years and has been a friend to us, mm-hmm. um, was able to walk with me. He came to board meetings for the first six months Wow! Um, and he ran them, but then gradually handed them over to me to run mm-hmm. with the chair. And, um, yeah, like lots of peer-to-peer coaching and yeah, yeah. Well, I say peer-to-peer. I wasn't coaching him at all. He was coaching me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, got to a point where he and I both felt like, okay, it's time. I, I can do this. It just felt like a really healthy model of stepping into a new role. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so was that about a year process that to make that transition in total, or? Yeah, I would say it was about a year. Yeah, it was six yeah. months of really hand on, 
hands-on. Um, Nathan would come as he could. I mean, it was COVID, so things shut down. He wasn't able to be here physically as much as he planned. But um, he, uh, and then for six months, it was more like on call. Okay. Yeah. It's like call a friend. He was like call a friend. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so before that, you, you were at Tenth Avenue in, yes. uh, yeah. And was that the first church you served in, or did you serve somewhere before that? Yeah. No, that was the first church that I served in. Mm. Um, yeah, I, um, I had, when I first came to Christ when I was like 19, um, you know, I'd grown up, um, attending church, but mm-hmm. it wasn't really my own faith until I was 19. So I really say I, I became a Christian when I was about 19. I kind of mm. walked away in my teens and, um, uh, but when I look back, I can see these moments where God was calling me into ministry. Okay. But I just didn't see it. Um, you know, when I was younger, I went to Catholic church and women don't serve as priests. And so yeah. I remember like telling people like, when I grew up, I want to be, a, uh, a, like, like do the anti-bullying talks in the schools or be, be like a motivational speaker hmm. <laughs> or, or something like this. Wow. And, uh, you know, and it just didn't occur to me. And then when I became a Christian, um, I began serving in my church. Uh, the pastor was like, "Hey, you should go to this this Bible college program. It's a, like a leadership discipleship thing. I see these things in you, and so I went, but still not mm. thinking that's what I was going to do." Um, like there was one point where uh, I used to go um, out in BC, so I was like the the Catholic kid whose best friend was a Pentecostal, and okay. so I would go sometimes to the evening service with her, which is the really yeah. charismatic one, and the morning Catholic mass. Yeah, And uh, for a season in BC, I don't know if it still happens, there was this youth conference called History Maker. Oh, um, yeah, I remember those, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so, and it was held in Kamloops. I lived in Kamloops at the time, so I would always go with her, and I totally wasn't following the Lord at that time. I wouldn't have said I had a personal relationship with Jesus, none of those things. Mm. But I would go with her, and every time they do, like, this altar call, you know, like, if you believe that this and this, you know, and, yeah. and every time I'd be like, well, yeah, I believe that in my head. So I put up my hand and her youth group would all be like excited that I'd accepted Jesus. And I did it right. again and again and again and again. But, uh, but it didn't, I, I, I don't know. I, it wasn't, it didn't really take. And yeah. then I, uh, when I finally did fully surrender my life, I went with her again. This time she was a leader and, and I went with her as a leader and um, there was an altar call, and it was about if you feel called into ministry, we mm. want those people who are called into ministry to come forward. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going forward with no rhyme or reason, like, as it never entered. So I go to the front. Actually, her cousin was there, who's a pastor in Victoria now. He was like, Melissa, what are you doing here? <laughs> Very surprised, as surprised as I was. Mm. So he prayed with me. Um, and again, I, I, that happened. And then I just kind of ignored it. I hmm. uh, met my husband uh, in Calgary. He has, he's called into ministry. He felt a calling when he was 15. And so then I thought, well, I guess this calling is for me as a pastor's wife, right? Like it's a whole family calling into ministry. And I, I believe that's true. Um, and so this like, uh, it, it kind of went underground for a while serving yeah. alongside Jay as his wife. And I became an yeah. elementary school teacher but did have these moments still where I, um, you know, it seems very obvious now. Like, for example, at one point, Jay was working in an Anglican church as a youth pastor. And yeah. our priest, Louise, in Kamloops, um, she was amazing. I used to say to Jay, oh, if I grew up in the Anglican church and Louise was my priest, I would totally be a priest now. Not thinking that mm. it's not too late for me to 
step into right. this, just kind of like right. that ship has sailed. Um, another time uh, when Jay was working at a church and it was a more complementarian church and I could see this church needs a family pastor. Hmm. And so I said to Jay, like, I'm going to go pitch this to the lead pastor. Um, and Jay was like, you know, I don't think that's going to go well for you or for us. <laughs> and that was actually Jay's like, I don't think uh, I can work in this church either because my wife has these gifts and I've got these daughters and, yeah, yeah. and I, and you know, and I'm probably rubbing some, some people the wrong way now who might be listening, who do have oh, a no, complimentary. Yeah, yeah, no. But, but, uh, but yeah. And even then both Jay and I, we didn't totally, we still weren't interpreting that as me. I should step out of teaching and into ministry. So it wasn't until 10th yeah. where um, our pastor Ken uh, invited me to apply for the family pastor role. And I really thought it was a temporary thing. Mm. Like I'll take a leave from teaching with the Vancouver school board, but within a year started to see, okay, I see what God was doing all along, but I stepped in at 36. So uh, wow. it took that okay. long to finally for God to just, I've been trying, I've been, I've been trying to get you to step into this for a long time. Mm. Just didn't see it. Yeah. So if you, if you, you know, roll back time, if you would have seen more women in more lead pastoral roles, uh, do you think you might've been a more of an early adopter? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even, even as a, as a teen, uh, you know, if when, when when Jay and I, we do a fair amount, or we have done a fair amount of mentoring over the years of younger pastors, mm-hmm. um, and and we just find consistently um, that often the men that Jay will be mentoring, you know, they felt this calling in their teenage years. Yeah. And when I meet with women, sometimes who are in their thirties and discerning this, if we start peeling back the layers, they too actually were called. Hmm. in their teenage years, there was just nobody there to say, I see this gift in you and then give them opportunities yeah. to lead. Yeah. And it, and it, and I think it just wasn't in our imagination that it was possible. Yeah. 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 I mean, my wife, Karen, she received a call to ministry when she was 14 years old, um, hmm. you know, and, and uh, has since, you know, been in, you know, secular vocation as well as serving in the church. And, uh, but she's always played significant leadership roles in, in the church for sure. Yeah. Um, but that's, that was clear to her from a, from a really young age that the Lord had called her. Um, I, I want to back up in your story a little bit. So you said you, you know, you made these responses to the altar calls with your, yeah. you know, and you definitely, <laughs> there's, it was clear in your story that you made a definite response to a call to ministry, but when in your journey, did you finally, like, it kind of clicked for you in terms of faith and you said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to surrender my life to Christ. Yeah. It's so funny that you're asking this because I actually shared the story last Sunday. Um, okay. In the yeah. sermon for the first time here at Redwood about what mm. happened. And so, yeah, I was studying fine arts and, okay. um, and, uh, you know, like, like I really would have said, I believe in God. I believe yeah. there is a God more, more like, I believe there is a God. I believe Jesus was a real person. He's not really participating in the world <laughs> or in my mm. life. Really. There's yeah. no relationship there. And my life, did not reflect any kind of belief or, yeah. or any of that. So, so every time I put up my hand, like for these mm-hmm. altar calls, it was more like an, in, like I believe Clark in my Anderson. head. Yeah. And, uh, and also I'm just, I, I'm putting up my hand cause just 
want to be like, God, I, 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 I'm here. <laughs> I think you're real. Yeah. Um, and if I die, <laughs> let this be like an acknowledgement that right. I want to go to heaven. Kind of the, like it was, the nod to God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. But, uh, but for sure, I, I didn't understand this personal relationship bit, um, that it was, yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't part of my understanding. Hmm. And, um, yeah. So anyways, I was in these art classes and there's a guy in my art class named Roberto, um, who, uh, he, uh, he was, a, he was a follower of Jesus mm-hmm. and he would do these really awesome art pieces. So in art school, you have to do your art piece and you have to do a artist statement and, uh, you have to share that with the class before you submit your work and you get critiqued by your classmates and your professor. Mm-hmm. And it can be very humbling and very vulnerable, but he would always have these art pieces. And I remember one in particular was about grace. Uh, and so he really kind of shared his story as part of his artist statement. Mm. And there's something yeah. about like what he was saying and me, what was going on in my life. Like I was partying and um, not just discontent in my life and my direction and everything. And what he was saying just really seemed to speak to where I was at. Yeah. Um and so we, yeah, we struck up a friendship. He invited me to go to campus ministry stuff. And I met his friends and his friends were like, I didn't understand this friend group. They were all friends with each other, but they seemed so different from one another. Hmm. Um, like they had nothing in common and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And also they were so different than the people I was hanging out with. Like they seemed genuinely interested in me. Hmm. Um, not like who I was hanging out with or what clubs I was going to or any of that kind of stuff. They were really interested in like, why are you studying art and what are you going to do with an art degree and <laughs> all those kinds of things. And yeah. tell me about your family and your upbringing. Mm. And, and eventually you. I came to see that it's Jesus in mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so after a worship night, a campus worship night, I was driving Roberto home and uh, he boldly just asked like, do you believe this stuff? Like, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? And do you believe that he died for you? And do you believe that you could be forgiven for all of this stuff that's been going on in your life? And, mm. and in that moment, I realized I do believe. Mm. And, and he's like, so what is stopping you right now from just fully becoming a follower of Jesus? And it was just, it just clicked. It all kind of wow. fell into place. And so he led me in prayer. And so even though I had prayed, sort of prayed that prayer before I didn't yeah. really understand what I was praying. And so was it like a gradual conversion? Was it a, I, I don't know, but in that moment was the real, I get this. It's like the Holy spirit just opened my eyes to see mm. something that I didn't quite see before. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I, I just am amazed that, um, God can use, I'm not amazed, but I'm thankful that God can use art um, in such yeah. a way that you, you experience his grace. That, his art was like really good art. It wasn't cheesy Christian art. Okay. It was, <laughs> it was like, it was, it was good. Christian it, it's kitsch. good yeah, art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's like really good, thoughtful art that he just yeah. put out there for debate, really, to mm. spark a conversation. And Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um. Okay, so I mean, we we can see all those moments now where that eventually led you to uh, the church in Vancouver uh, yeah. to Tenth Ave. Um, how did you end up on the staff there? 
Yeah. So my husband was already on site or on staff. Jay was already working there. Um, He'd been working there for about a year and a half. Yeah. And um, the church needed a family pastor. And so um, as the story goes, Ken, our lead pastor, he was sitting there in the service. Yeah. And, and she gave me and, two. Yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah. Saw, you know, saw me in the service and felt the spirit saying, ask Melissa to step into this role. Hmm. And so he wow. did. And when he first asked me, I was like, there is no way I'm doing this. I'm not touching this ministry with like a thousand foot pole. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I just, I, 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 Jay was like, I don't think you want to do that role either. Um, but I went away and prayed about it because I was like, I'll pray about it. And I realized that even the past year I'd been feeling this discontentment again. Um, I was a teacher librarian that year and, um, our kids were just about in full-time school. And so I knew the next year, am I going to, I'm going to bump up my hours and teach full time, or am I going to finally try to make it as an artist? You know, maybe I'll take Mm. two days a week and dedicate to art and see if I can start generating an income there. Mm. And those were my two options, increase my teaching hours or be an artist. (laughs) And, uh, um, so I decided that year that I was going to just, as I shelved books in the library, I was just going to (laughs) pray. I was thinking about like Brother Lawrence and practicing yeah, the presence yeah. of God. And wow. so I'm like, yeah. pra- I'm shelving the books and I'm like, your will be done. Your will be done. Show me what to do. Show me what to mm. do. What am I supposed to do? All of these things. And, and uh, yeah, so it was six months of that. And then Ken approached me with that role. So I was like, ah, I got to give yeah. this a fair hearing. Mm. <laughs> like I got to bring this before God and just really sense God um, asking me to step in. And, um, stepped in and, uh, and I still kind of felt like it was going to be a temporary thing. Like I could take a leave from the school board and didn't have to resign. So that's what I did. You know, I still had my escape patch. Um, and then it was, um, Ken invited me to preach and, uh, I had never, I I had preached one sermon with Jay, um, but that had been it. Yeah. And he, he, it was at 10th. And then he said, you know, I'd, I'd like to invite you to preach on your own. And uh, so I did. And I had one of the most profound experiences of God's presence hmm. in that. Um, in a way that I'd only ever experienced actually painting pictures. Like when I paint, hmm. it's like my prayer language. You yeah. know, I, I, I just really sense God's presence in my painting and I've entered into this holy time it feels like yeah <laughs> um wow god's time and uh i was really quite like obviously really nervous preaching and, and it's a big church to preach your first sermon in. yeah yeah uh, for sure and um the night before as i'm like nervous and there's car alarms going off in the neighborhood and you know our kids are crying and i'm like really anxious and you know, there's just, there's just so many things going on and I'm praying, like, as I'm trying to fall asleep, God, just give me sleep. Like I, I, I've done all the preparation I could do. I just need to go to sleep. And, and then, um, yeah, I just sense God's presence in, in, in my bedroom. Hmm. And it was like, just, it was this experience of love, like, uh, hmm. just, just love. I just felt loved. And yeah. I just thought to myself, I could just go out there and say, I am so dearly loved and so are you. And that would be good enough. Um, yeah. And, 
yeah, I've, I've only had a couple of experiences like that in my life, but it was just the night before I preached my first sermon, it was this overwhelming sense of love. Hmm. And so then the next morning I woke up and, um, preached. I actually did preach the sermon I prepared, not okay. God loves you, God loves you. And that's it. <laughs> well, it's and a start. As I, yeah, well yeah, as I did it, I had that same feeling. I was, I was speaking and I just felt the same way that I do when I'm painting. Hmm. Like I'm God prepared me for this. He, he made yeah. me for this and, and yeah. I'm stepping into something that I should have been doing, but the time is now. And yeah. then, uh, yeah. And then again, afterwards, like the next morning, you know, Monday morning, you often wake up after Sundays and you're exhausted. And I actually felt pumped. Hmm. Like I just said, I woke up and I was like, God's presence is back. <laughs> I'm, I'm sensing God's presence here with me again, drop my kids off at school. And I'm like, does everybody else know that God is here right now with us present? And hmm. yeah, I just felt like God saying like, well done, my daughter, you did yeah. what I asked you to do. Um, and I've reflected on that, you know, and I know not everybody has a profound experience like that the first time they preach and, you know, it's not always like that. It's very rarely yeah. like that. But, um, I think because it can be harder for women to step into these roles, I, I believe mm -hmm. that God gave me this profound experience just to make it very clear. <laughs> I'm calling you to do this. Yeah. There are going to be days where you're going to feel like the doors aren't going to open or it's going to be hard for you to step into this calling. But hmm. I want you to be sure. I want you to know. Yeah, what a gift. Yeah. What a gift. Um, if only every time we preach, we could preach from that place. Like, right. <laughs> uh, you are a dearly loved son or daughter. All I want you to do is just be a good son or daughter. That's it. Yeah. You're loved. That's Go it. do it. You know? That's um, it. Yeah, but, I find that when I get into that, like, feeling the pressure, like, like, I've got to put something, you know, it's like, yeah. it's that we all feel it, right? Like, that's, mm -hmm. you yeah. start to live into your humanness more, which is, yeah, yeah, always leads us down the road of performance or pride or anxiety or fear or whatever it is. I, I do go back and I read my journal from that experience and it's just a reminder for me that um that i'm not that yeah. i'm doing the thing that god called me to do and that's the best i can do <laughs> yeah i i kind of had an epiphany like that um i think it's probably about a decade ago now and i was preaching at a camp and uh, like i was just i was so overthinking, over anxious, over meticulous in my preparation and whatnot. And, um, and Karen was at the camp with me, but I, I did have this overwhelming sense, uh, at the beginning of God just saying to me, I don't need you to do anything here. Just, just be a good son. That's it. Mm. Just be a good son. I'm your dad. Just be a good son. When you get up there, that's all I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to perform. I'm not asking you to, you know, to woo the audience or sway them or impress anybody. All you need to do is just be a good son. And so now whenever I'm preaching, um, I will remind myself of that. And my wife will remind me of that. She'll say, oh, Rob, so good. all you have to do is just be a good son. That's it. I'm like, ah, and there's all of a sudden this weight, you know, of all this stuff that we carry, like you say, pressing yeah. into our humanness just kind of dissolves. And, and it's not like I don't take 
preparation seriously and all that. Certainly I yeah. do, right? That's part of being a good son. But in that moment, the preaching moment, it's just, uh, and so you just, I think you come in with a different posture as, as you're, as you're preaching when you, when you just remind yeah. yourself it's, you don't There's have a to bit impress of a freedom anybody. in it, right? Yeah. Because like as parents, I look at my daughter, I'm most, I feel most joyful in their presence when I see them yeah. being them, being themselves, you know, they're leading into the things that they love. And, and when that, when I see delight in them, I feel yeah. delight, you know? And yeah. so I, sometimes I imagine, I, I imagine that, that, that God made me to do this thing for however long he's called me to do this thing. And, and, uh, if I'm faithful to him in it, uh, yeah. and leaning and not trying to be somebody I'm not. Yeah. But he yeah, delights I mean, in me. <laughs> and you don't want to see your kids being them false selves, you know, yeah. like being a phony among their friends and trying to impress and all these. And he's like, no, I just, I just love you for who you are. Why would you try and do that? That doesn't make yeah. any sense. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk a bit about Thunder Bay. Um, how, yeah. how would you describe your city? Tell about, describe to those who haven't been in Thunder Bay. And I, I should let our listeners know, I, I did pastor in Thunder Bay as the youth pastor uh, back in uh, early 2000s. I think it was 2000 and 2002 I was there. Uh, so I got to experience this city. But I want you to brag on Thunder Bay a little bit. T tell us about uh, the beauty of the surrounding region. Yes. So um, being Where from is the it West, too? Yeah. So, so being from the West Coast, you know, yeah. I have this I idea of like mountains and oceans and, you know, the the being outdoors has been a very big part of our, our life. Yeah. Um, and, uh, when we first flew to Thunder Bay and I was thinking, Oh Lord, are you calling us to leave the forest that I love and the ocean mm. and you know, all of those things, um, we fly in and I'm like laughing at God's goodness because Lake Superior feels like an ocean. Yeah. They're, they're mountain, they're little mountains. Like we do downhill yeah. ski here, but you know, there's like Mount, Mount McKay and the sleeping giant. Yeah. Like it's just beautiful here. Um, and, uh, we're pretty outdoorsy. Like we like to trail run and ski and my husband's into rock climbing and stuff. And all those things are here and more. It's like this little hidden outdoor gem for people yeah. who are into outdoor stuff that I think most of Canada is unaware of. Mm -hmm. And I've often like talked to people who are from Thunder Bay. I'm like, why doesn't Thunder Bay capitalize on this? Like ecotourism and adventure yeah, tourism could be yeah. a big thing. But the sometimes I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think people don't want to let the secret out. So now I'm letting the secret out. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty fun outdoor community. Mm -hmm. We've got passes to one of the ski hills in town and yeah, it's, and, and Thunder Bayers, um, probably they, they spend, I say they, we now, cause I live here, spend more yeah. time outside than BC people. Yeah. BC people yeah. who might be listening, you think you have the market cornered on being an outdoorsy culture. Uh, like it's year round here. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a winter wonderland and it's a summer wonderland. It's incredible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And all of like the Canadiana stereotypes actually exist here yeah so like you know the canoeing and the hiking and the flannel and yeah the, and the <laughs> ice fishing and uh all, all of those things in the summer the the uh, anyway it's just it's just beautiful it's all here it's been a it's a fun it's a fun adventure 
And fun fact, Thunder Bay, supposedly, I don't know if this is still true, but I hear it is, has the highest population of people from Finland here outside of Finland. Yes, it is. That's true. So the Finnish culture here is uh, really strong. So there's also, in addition to the outdoor stuff, there's lots of saunas. Or saunas, yes. I should say. Saunas, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was that was shocking to me how many people had a sauna in their basement or out at their cabin yeah. at the woods in the lake, and they they sauna and then they jump in the lake or, or whatnot, and it was yes. a huge thing there. Yeah, um, we were uh, we were looking when we were looking at houses. A lot of the houses had a sauna in the basement, and that's what we were hoping for. And then we ended up buying one without. But there's some guys in our church who are like, "Let's build you one." Like, yes. <laughs> well, and, and and it's funny is, is they all have saunas, but they don't have garages. Like you can't, yeah, it's hard to find a house with a garage, but oh yeah, that's got a sauna. That's all that matters. Yeah, we yeah. found that as an odd thing, like kind of all the places in Canada that should have a garage. Yeah, because there's garage. so much snow. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, uh, they're, yeah, it's not really a thing. Yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, love when I was some, eating- but- when I youth pastored there um, in the mornings on my way to work, I would get up really early and I just throw my fishing rod in my vehicle and you can drive five minutes anywhere out of town basically. And you hit a lake and I would yeah. just sit on the shore and put my line in the water. I would just still fishing and yeah. uh, sitting with a hot cup of coffee, do my devotions right on the side of a lake. It was just yeah, unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It's like, uh, yeah, really five minutes and you're just out in. Yeah beautiful areas and the trees and the fall. It's just, it's gorgeous. The other piece too, is that, um, this is cottage country, except in Thunder Bay, it's not called cottages, it's camps. Yeah. So everybody has a camp. When we first got here, we're like, people are like, I'm going out to the camp and I'm like, wow, there's like a real Christian camp culture here, but it's actually people's cottages. Yeah. But, uh, so, you know, we've gotten to have, we get to have our staff retreats at the beautiful camp of somebody in our church and Jay and I will do silent retreats, you know, at somebody yeah. else's camp. And it's just, yeah. The other thing about Thunder Bay is that people here, we are very surprised. And of course we came from living right in the city in an urban area. Mm-hmm. People here are so nice. Like, like, and I don't mean nice in like a generic way, but if you think about like just nice, hospitable kind, welcoming, friendly kind of people like Minnesota nice, you know, (laughs) that seems to extend up into, (laughs) into Thunder Bay. People were very kind. My kids thought it was weird when we first moved here. They're like, why are people smiling at us when we're walking down the street? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a central place in the, in the region. So there's about, is it 110,000 in Thunder Bay? Is that about the population? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good sized city uh, for sure. Um, but but very different than Vancouver, very different context. Very, so, very different. Yeah. Um, talk to us. What are, what are some of the most uh, noticeable cultural differences between where you are now and where you came from? Yeah. I mean, Vancouver is a very high Asian population. Yes. And yeah, uh, yeah. our church, you know, 10th, I don't know what the demographic there is now, but we did a bit of demographic studies when we were there. And it was like 60, 70% Asian <clears throat> demographic <throat> at the church, which re- yeah. represented the city. Yeah. Uh, and here... Um, you know, Mike, when we first got here, we're like, we're, we're trained, we're used to seeing, you know, our Asian friends or, or yeah. just Asian neighbors or whatever. And that, that's not a big demographic in Thunder Bay. Yeah. So that was a big yeah. shock to us. And, and we didn't realize um, the Asian influence in the general culture in Vancouver either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been a, that's been a bit of a difference here. One of the pieces here, um, <laughs> 
we were one of the things that everybody who I know who's moved here from somewhere else were like, we wish there was a Costco. I know it sounds so silly, but <laughs> I didn't think I missed Costco yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Ikea. Costco and Ikea. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for sure love for there to be a Costco and an Ikea. Those free hot dogs, uh, those, those cheap hot dogs and those yeah, Swedish meatballs or whatever. Exactly. They just, yeah. But, uh, but there is one of everything else here. So, mm. so it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's a decent sized city. Um, it's a high indigenous population here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, recent, I don't know, stats usually put it at around 10 or 20 percent but it does that doesn't capture i don't think the population is more like a 30 percent ish mm, yeah 40 yeah. percent probably the population yeah. is indigenous yeah. and like you said percent of those tracked yes exactly yeah. exactly because yeah. there's a transient population and mm -hmm. whatnot students um yeah. we're a hub for northwestern ontario so all of the northern communities uh, many fly in um or ice road access yeah. only um Thunder Bay is the place for healthcare, um, or um, any kind of medical services. Really, a lot of um, reserves will have their band office here in Thunder Bay. Yeah. Uh, so there's lots and lots of band offices and services for Indigenous people, government services, um, and a university, and a university, yeah, and a high school, um, right? Too. So uh, Dennis Franklin Cromartie High School is just a couple blocks away from our church. And uh, for the northern communities that don't have a high school, um, those parents have the choice of having their kids not finish high school or moving to Thunder Bay to mm. finish their high school. So, so um, I think the school recently opened up to local Indigenous students as well. Okay. So it's beginning to change a bit that way. But yeah, many of the kids who, who come um, have never been outside of their home community and then show up here never yeah. having seen a stoplight or traffic or stores or yeah. any of these things and end up coming, yeah, coming into the city. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think about that often about what it would be like to send my daughter who's in grade nine, you know, hundreds of kilometers away to Toronto right, <laughs> or something yeah. like that, you know, to, to, to go to high school. Mm. Uh, and not knowing the people who she's living with and all, all of those things. It's, yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah. That's a huge commitment. Um, what would you describe is your church Redwood Park's unique mission in the city? Um, how would you describe that? Yeah. Over the past couple of years, um, we entered into a discernment process about what God is calling, who, who is God calling us to be for this next season? Mm. And, um, it's kind of part of Redwood's DNA for a while, but Redwood is a church for the city. I think yeah. you're probably part of that emerging vision. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cause I understand it goes back to like the late nineties or so. Yeah. Um, so Redwood is a church for the city. And that was one of the things that really drew us here is um, if Redwood is going to be a church for the city, then indigenous reconciliation has to be a big part of mm -hmm. what we participate in. Yeah. And um yeah, so I'm I'm indigenous. I'm a member of the Namibia's First Nation, and I'm white. So I'm both. I'm both. Yeah, mixed. Yeah, uh, I know how you feel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so 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 I so I and and I personally have been felt have been. I, I know that reconciliation is my life calling as a pastor. That's my mm. particular bent as a as a pastor. Yeah. yeah, and calling churches to be churches of reconciliation. Mm. But you know, we're known by our love. <laughs> 
Yeah. And are we actually loving one another well and participating in God's reconciliation, reconciliation of all things out in the yes. world. Yeah. And so, uh, so when, when Redwood, when we first came here and hearing that this is a church that wants to take this seriously, um, but doesn't necessarily know how, and I was yeah. able to say, well, I don't totally know how either, but let's figure it out together. And so, yeah, we discerned in the last couple of years that our vision is to be a church of reconciliation. Hmm. That um, okay. and, and specifically to participate in God's reconciliation work in the city as he longs to reconcile all people to himself, yeah. to themselves, to each other, and to the earth. Hmm. So it's this fourfold yeah. ending of relationship. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I hear that and, and I know some of our listeners are going to go like, that doesn't sound like the gospel, like this work that she's doing. That <laughs> sounds very like, I don't know, like liberal theological kind of stuff. So uh, let's, let's, <laughs> let's talk about the, the, the centrality of the gospel and reconciliation for you guys. Um, yeah. Can you, can you expand on that a little bit more? I can. Yeah. 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 It's, um, yeah, it. I mean, I've been thinking about this for seven or eight years or so. Really, mm. it's it's been yeah. a it's been a journey, and and I first sensed God calling me to participate in reconciliation like twenty years ago, probably when I was yeah. doing my education degree in Kamloops, mm. actually, uh, and did a tour of the residential school there. Yeah, and uh, just felt like God just sensed God's heart breaking for Indigenous people in Canada. Yeah. over the history and in particular because much of what has been done has been done in the name of jesus um and uh so yeah just really felt my heart breaking and didn't really understand that and at 10th started to engage in some indigenous reconciliation kind of stuff a bit but really what started to happen at 10th was god opening my eyes to this gospel of reconciliation in scripture mm. Mm-hmm. And this thread of reconciliation and any kind of studies or anything I've done has always been now, okay, let, you know, as, as I slowly chip away at uh, master's studies, every, every paper I do, I'm like, okay, what new take can I, what, how can I delve into this theology of reconciliation or this yeah. gospel of reconciliation, or this biblical yeah. story? And um, now I see it everywhere in scripture, but it starts at the very beginning in Genesis. Um where you see Adam and Eve living in four good relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, they're living in a reconciled, they're, they are living in a good relationship with God where yeah. we're meant to be living in a relationship with God, all humans. Um, they are made for relationship with each other. You know, yeah. the first time God says it is not good is when Adam is alone yeah. and, and he needs a partner. Um, we're made for relationship with the earth. We're given this job to steward yeah. To take care of the earth, to be caretakers mm-hmm. of the earth as God would. Yeah. Um, and uh and for a relationship with ourselves, like at the last Genesis, the last verse in Genesis two is that Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. Like that word mm-hmm. shame is that they were totally good in their identity. Yeah. They yeah. know who they are in light of who God is. They're not self conscious. They're not really mm-hmm. thinking about themselves. Yeah. Really, I think they're not self-involved. They, they, their their relationship with themselves is right. Yeah. And then uh, in Genesis three, you see all those four relationships breaking down. So, um, you know, the relationship with God as they give into temptation is broken. Yeah. Um, the relationship with each other is broken. It's, you know, Adam is blaming Eve, and they put on these coverings over themselves. They're no longer vulnerable with one another. 
Um, mm. The relationship with the earth is broken. Um, a friend pointed this out to me a, a number of years ago and uh, that uh, when they pluck the fruit from the tree, that's an act of environmental degradation. They're using mm. God's creation in a way that it was never intended to. They're, they're exceeding the limitation that God has put on creation in that. Mm. So they're, 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 they're sinning against creation. They're breaking relationship with creation. Uh, and then, of course, they're expelled from the garden, too. So there's a further breaking of that. And then the relationship with themselves is broken as well. You know, as they, as they hide themselves from each other and they hide from God, that's shame in right. action. Right. Yeah. They're, they're hiding away pieces of themselves and, and they're no longer basing their identity in who God is first and who am I in light of who God is. And then if you trace that through scripture from those four broken relationships, you see this beautiful story of God's heart to reconcile all things um, <laughs> through the covenants, through yeah. Israel, through the prophets calling people back. Uh, you see, um, you see it in the the work of Jesus, um, the reconciliation work of Jesus, and and uh, I think where where we in the West we we talk about the cross and the work on the cross um, as forgiveness from sins, which of course yeah it is right yeah. But forgiveness isn't just so we stand in a forgiven state. Forgiveness is so we enter into relationship again. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the end, the end, the end point is, is relationship is reconciliation with God. That's right. Yeah. And through that reconciliation with one another and with the earth and with ourselves, it's this, it's this world of peace. Yeah. Um, we, as a, as a board at Redwood, we debated over this for about a year. Okay. <laughs> we pulled yeah. out resources. We brought people who yeah. to speak to us. We read books. Yeah. And what we came to see is that I think, uh, in the Western world we we like to like classify things mm-hmm. um you know it's this and this and this and this it's kind of a modern thing uh but in fact they're intertwined with one another it starts with god but sometimes we we feel pulled you know for for we often hear people who who are not followers of jesus they talk about i feel god's presence when i'm out in creation you know it's because we're wired for a relationship yeah. with God through being out in the earth. They're, they're, we're, we're, we're wired for that. And uh, and then if you follow through the thread, right, until Revelation, you see the reconciliation, the restoration of all things. That's it's, right. Yeah. This new heaven, this new earth, and all nation and tribe and tongue worshiping together, reconciled before God in this new heavenly garden city. And this in-between time, we are called to be agents of reconciliation mm, to participate yeah. in this reconciliation work in the world. And God has given us this ministry and this message of reconciliation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Love that. And, and I love your, uh, your expansive view of the gospel and of reconciliation. Um, I think it's Scott McKnight in his book, King Jesus gospel. He talks about our truncated mm-hmm. gospel, you know, and, yes. and so yeah. when we think gospel, we think four spiritual laws, we think of just forgiveness from sins. And, uh, we also think it's very individualistic and it's personal. Whereas, you know, the gospel is cosmic in its implications. Uh, yes. it's, it is far more expansive than just me and Jesus. Uh, it's, it includes, as you say, all of those four 
aspects. I mean, that's what Paul would say is, is that Christ has come to reconcile all things all to himself. Things. Yes. Right. And, yeah. um, and it's very easy for us as good modernists to just make it very individualistic and, and make it very much about me. And, 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 and I think that's like, this is the beauty of, I would say a first nations worldview is, is this idea of our interconnectedness to the land. Like that, yeah. that's, that's something that we cannot ignore. So you can't just kind of put on white gloves and treat the land as just this, this science project that you can do something with and, and not realize the effects that that would have on you. Um, like you're, there is an interconnect, there's a relationship to the land that we can't ignore. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I really do think that, so, so our, our growing, our learning is to locate indigenous reconciliation, racial reconciliation, family brokenness, any within the gospel of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and then it begins to make sense. Yeah. Uh, and what we're finding and what I'm finding is that this gospel of reconciliation is good news to people outside of the church. Like mm. we, we live in a very fragmented, disintegrated yeah. world. Yeah. You know, it, it, in every era of Christian history, um, different people have responded to the gospel in different ways. And I have, I'm coming to believe more and more and more that this gospel of reconciliation is the good news yeah. for the world right now. Yeah. Um, especially the younger generation. I mean, they, they're, they see climate change and they see injustice and, and all of these pieces and a God who came to reconcile all things and actually has an answer for it. Uh, the best answer. Yes. The best yeah. answer. And, yeah. and, 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 and people know increasingly that the stories in the world are corrupt, like, like, and don't hold up anymore. Yeah. Like all the common narratives in the world are beginning to break down and causing this, this, angst and anxiety yeah. and and all of these things that we've been entrusted with this story that mm-hmm. makes sense of it all yeah and um, and i think we'd like to ignore like um the environment i mean and, and that's kind of a knee-jerk i almost want to say like a right um a right political orientation is is to minimize the the environment and and it's not it's actually very biblical to care about the environment like like first in terms of creation care but even as you said like when you talk about the end times and and where Christ is coming to reconcile all things he will restore all things um which includes relationships i mean you have this image of the nations coming in and out of Jerusalem you have yeah. the new creation and the, the new earth but i, I love how NT Wright puts it is is that um it's like a it's like a signpost pointing forward yes. into the mist right yeah. and so who we are to be now we are to begin pra- then like who we are to be in the great then is who we are to try and be now so yeah. it's not like oh the earth's gonna burn up in a ball of fire so who cares like who cares about the environment i i don't think that's what jesus wants for us he wants us to yeah. to, to live now in a reconciled world um it won't be yeah. perfect till he comes back but we have to work on that and not just our our individual spirituality right yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And just, uh, I mean, we're starting to see it in Redwood because we've been, we've been talking about reconciliation pretty, I mean, yeah, what's that look week. like? It's our, it's our vision. We've been talking about it every week for about two years now. Hmm. And um, we've grown. When we first got here, we would look out and see primarily a white church. Hmm. And when I look out on Sunday morning, I am seeing a multi ethnic church. Wow. Um, 
it's we, we've grown in in i mean we've got a lot of newcomers to canada in thunder bay there's a no- mm-hmm. settling northern ontario initiative that has resulted yeah. in the, the, the demographic of thunder bay changing um but uh you know as i chat with people like what what's drawing you to redwood um this re- this reconciliation vision hmm. is aligned with other cultures in the world too you know relationship-based cultures yeah. Yeah. resonate this makes hmm. sense um and we're growing with indigenous attenders as well hmm. um uh, my husband jay preached a sermon and um, like a year and a half ago it was the first one here at redwood on on caring for creation as a christian hmm. calling yeah and uh he had a number of indigenous attenders coming up afterwards saying that's the first time i've heard my culture and my faith in jesus come together like, like I thought it was different, but it, yeah. but actually this, there's something healing in this that goes beyond just, we're supposed to do this. It's yeah. Yeah. Almost like a, I see in you, like Jesus mm. sees in our indigenous brothers and sisters, something very beautiful that he planted within humanity to live mm. rightly with the land. Yeah. Well, I, I know since you've been, here uh at thunder bay you've had some leadership challenges i mean uh, you came during covid obviously which is a, was a huge, <laughs> huge enough challenge and we we know a bit about that uh, but since you've come there have been some really difficult moments uh in your leadership i wonder if you could share with us a little bit about those and and, and maybe touch on how how are you seeing uh, jesus at work in the midst of those yeah um one of the things that we were aware of before we came here is that um, fairly recently in Redwood's history before we got here, like within a couple of years, mm-hmm. there was some clergy abuse, some sexual abuse happening in the congregation mm. uh, with a youth pastor and, and some students over a period of seven years. Wow. Quite yeah. devastating, um, really yeah. hard. And, um, and uh, as we got here, we began to see this is a community that still needs healing from right. this. Yeah. And, uh, and of course this, it happened and, and it became known before COVID and before we began to understand, um, abuses of power in the church and clergy abuse and what that looks like. And yeah. so even the last couple of years has reframed, I think that just the churches in general thinking about how to handle situations when abuse issues come up. So yeah. Anyways, all that to say, um, our board and our and our district office, um, uh, or Christian Missionary Alliance, um, sorry, our district office, yeah. um, our district superintendent, and our national president, all we all came together and hired an outside organization to come in hmm. and take a look at our story. Yeah, um, what happened? Um, uh, what were the conditions that allowed this to happen? And then they put together a report. And essentially, it was like a Truth and Reconciliation Commission at Redwood. They, okay. they came and they interviewed 50 people or wow. so from, yeah. from Redwood, past and present, um, put out a report, 70-page report with 13 recommendations. Hmm. Um, we, we read out the report and made it available to people who attend present at Redwood now and, and hmm. in the past. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, on Pentecost Sunday, had a um, had a service 
a sacred assembly or a solemn assembly where we had our district superintendent and our national president and our our board past and present and pastoral staff really just asking for forgiveness from the community. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, yeah, for the things that, yeah, it just makes me tear up a little bit. Yeah. Um, it was a service of confession yeah. and, and lament, really. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fitting that it was Pentecost Sunday because something happened. Um, the, the people who were there, the presence of God was very present, like like mm-hmm. very, very there in the room. It was a very powerful night, and we felt like it was a significant turning point yeah. for us. You know, God loves it when we repent. He loves it when we confess and we tell the truth and yeah. we bring justice. And so now we're in a season where we've got these 13 recommendations and we're, we're beginning to implement them. Okay. Um, yeah. and, and we've committed to the church. The board formally adopted them, that we accept the report and these recommendations. Yeah. And um, so now we're, we're, we're implementing them and then reporting back to the church on our progress and regular interval intervals. So one of those is establishing a redemptive healing team. So we've got seven, seven Redwood people who are made up of like trauma therapists and doctors and, and uh, social workers from our community. And they've been undergoing all sorts of training in the last three months. And their role now will be to get in touch with, or to be available to those who are affected by the clergy abuse and then to walk with people, hear stories, help them find resources for, for healing and whatever that looks like. But, Mm. um, yeah, we don't totally know, like, like we're just kind of figuring out as we go, but what we're sensing is just God's pleasure Mm. in this. Mm. Um, and we're seeing people are accepting Jesus for the first time and we're seeing healing happening. And our young adult community um, telling us that the report tells their story of what mm. they experienced at Redwood, yeah. you know? So, so it's, yeah. it's capturing a story that they've been walking with for years that wasn't known to everybody. But we're seeing like these little, like just incredible spiritual growth in our young adult community. It's just so, it's so awesome. We love them. Um, yeah. yeah, our so young our, adult our ministry is, is great. Are a number of those who experienced the abuse, uh, some of them still part of the church community, church family? Uh, yeah, we've begun walking with a couple people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know the names of all the people. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so, so, you know, we, we've identified there were probably nine, at least nine people. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, but Jay and I have begun walking with a couple, a couple people and and I think it was this, the report, um, mm. and the process This re- we're calling it the redemptive healing process. <laughs> we yeah, think it's the yeah. process that really it, it opened doors. And when trust has been broken, you got to work really hard to. Yeah. Yeah. To, Tr- to, trust is, yeah. trust is broken easily, gained slowly. It takes yeah, a long time yeah. to regain that. Yeah. And we really felt as a church that if God is calling us to be a community of reconciliation in the city. Mm-hmm almost as if like God was like, you're not allowed to participate in the work of the city until right. you do reconcile yeah. in house first. So good. You've got these yeah. abuses of power. 
um, and sexual abuse that has happened mm-hmm. right in your community. And you, you, you got to make that right. Yeah. And out of that, I will raise up a people. I will transform the community through this process and make you into the people I need you to be so that you can participate in this reconciliation work in the city. Yeah. Yeah, that is so that's so important. And, and I think a number of churches that yeah, it's really quick to just jump back into ministry as, as you as usual, you know, and and not and, and ignore the things that have happened before. And you, you can't ignore those things. You have to work it out, as you say. And um, I, I really appreciate the process you guys went through um, the the deliberate, thoughtful um process i appreciate the the lament like that i think that's just so right and so good to 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 lament and and we don't do that very well as christians in in the western world we it's it's largely missing from much of our liturgy is lament yeah yeah and uh we've got a really great worship pastor okay <laughs> sean Barron. yeah uh sean um sean brings a a unique uh, a maturity and a wisdom in his worship leading mm. that he can he, he's leading our community in this lament mm. um, that this ongoing um, and he leaves space in our in our services for confession and yeah. and repentance and lament and um, yeah he's 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 really he's really key to all of this helping us yeah. to be a community of worshipers, but truthful worshipers, honest yeah. worshipers, yeah. you know? Yeah. Brilliant. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about your city then now. Um, recently there's, there's this four part documentary that was released on Crave called Thunder Bay. Um, yeah. And uh, it's trying to bring light to the story of uh, seven first nations youth uh, who died. Um, and it, and it kind of paints the city in a pretty dark light. Um, and uh, yeah. I think you and I talked about this beforehand. Uh, have you seen the series? Um, and if you did, you know, what do you yeah. think of it? I uh, I have not seen it, but okay. not because I don't plan to see it. Right. Because I know it's going to be heavy. Hmm. And uh, this last year, um, with what we've been doing at Redwood, has been heavy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I felt like I needed to... <laughs> be in the right space to watch it. However, yeah, I did pages. read um, a book about Thunder Bay coming here, Seven Fallen Feathers. Yes. Um, and that was the co- predecessor to the, to the, that's kind of spawned the series, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, so yes, I move into Thunder Bay. I mean, that was the one, one piece that we haven't really talked about is like, when we moved here, my dad was like, why are you moving to like one of the most racist places in Canada? That was his reaction Mm. as an indigenous man. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, And reading the book about indigenous youth. And then there was a pretty significant court case that was happening when we were here, about an indigenous woman who had been um, murdered. And, Mm. um, and it was a, a, a racially motivated it, um, murder. And, and, mm. uh, so this was in the news and, and I was following this. I was following that before we actually moved here at the whole court case. Cause I think indigenous people in Canada are aware of Thunder Bay. Um, yeah. uh, and, um, so 
one of the things that I had to overcome when we came here was my own fear. Like, mm. like I felt, I found this piece around like being afraid to let people know that I'm indigenous. Um, because I was afraid of, I was just afraid, just afraid. Mm. It just didn't yeah. feel safe. Yeah. You know, so I try to look as white as possible sometimes. And then I'm like, wait, what am I doing? And then I'm, and then I'm being faced with my own, my own, um, uh, hypocrisy in Mm. my own life, you know, like, like Mm. this, or this lack of an integrated identity, Mm -hmm. uh, in my own life. And, uh, there's one particular time where it became really clear to me. So I have these beautiful beaded earrings that my brother got me. And yeah. I was wearing them one day and as I was driving down the road, I paused and I noticed some people look at me and, and they, and I, I could tell that they saw me as an indigenous woman as I was driving. It's just, yeah, I don't know. You could just tell, you just tell yes. the way. Yeah. And I immediately was like, Oh no, I wore the wrong earrings today. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, what am I doing? Like, this is, this is, this is who I am. And, yeah. and, and I believe there's strength that comes from, being an indigenous woman. Um, and, and so for me, this last three years of being part of Thunder Bay and kind of hearing the story of Thunder Bay and being called in this ministry of reconciliation, there's also been this reconciliation in my own identity. Yeah. Uh, where God's saying no more, I'm not letting you, I'm not letting you separate out your whiteness and your indigenousness. It's, it's coming together. Hmm. Uh, it's time. Yeah. Um, and I'm, and as it's happening, as I'm becoming more and more, as I, as I grow more in my relationship with God, I realize more and more, um, that perhaps my outlook on life is more culturally indigenous than I realized it was. Mm. And I actually think that's a gift yeah. Yeah. to the world and a yeah. gift to the church. Um, yeah. the indigenous people have this gift. And so, yeah, it's, um, there are really beautiful people here in Thunder Bay, mm-hmm. but there is a population of people in Thunder Bay who live with fear. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, God wants to break that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so interesting you say that. I mean, I, I can remember in my own family history, like with my my father's generation and his siblings, how much they tried to not be first nations like in in, yeah. in the sense that like they they would say no no don't let people know like so there was this secret that yeah, they tried yes. to keep um and which is a, a can be a very damaging thing to a people because uh, then then you're you are dealing with shame about your origin or yeah. or you you delve into secrecy secrecy becomes such a big and i mean nothing good grows in secrecy right so yeah. um you know and and and, and I, you know, I think, I think that changed, like for me growing up, like in the nineties, uh, I was very proud and first nations and, and willing to say it and not, didn't care, you know, didn't give yeah. a rip, but I think, so something that changed culturally a little bit for me compared to my dad's generation, right. That, yeah. it, that had come before, but there still is this sense of, um, this, you know, I don't know what it is, um, of the, yeah. the tendency to be to be ashamed. Um, that's yeah. kind of rooted in a, in a history of a people. Yeah. Like my, yeah, my, my grandma used to say, you are not first nations. You are white. Mm. <laughs> like, like it was very, 
Yeah. And I mean, clearly she was first nation. Like there's no, like she, right. she like <laughs> obviously, yeah. Uh, yeah. but was very much. Yeah. So, so there's this like thing planted. The that, seed. Yeah. That, um, like if you have the option, if you, this, this piece that was planted in us, that if you had this, and was it, I don't know, it's probably another conversation, but if you have the option in this particular setting of passing as white or passing as first nations, the safer option and the option that's going to open more doors is going to be white. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, mm -hmm. so you learn a particular way of being or a certain particular way of presenting yourself. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the broken relationship with ourselves. It's a, re there's a reconciliation problem there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the beauty of the gospel is Jesus has come to, to restore that. I mean, every yeah. culture is broken, every culture, doesn't matter what culture you come from in the world and there's no sacred culture. Um, but, uh, God does not divorce our humanity from our culture. Like he, he, that's why the, the nations plural form will be coming in and out of yeah. Jerusalem, right? That yeah. there's a retention of, of this beautiful kaleidoscope of cultures. That's going to continue on. Yeah. Yeah. I had this really powerful, um, image one day, actually it was, it was, um, as I was preparing a sermon. So like, yeah, I guess another moment of God being very present with me as I was writing, mm -hmm. but it was, I was, I was, reflecting on and studying this picture of all the nations together in, in revelation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what hit me is my people will be there and mm. we will hear Kwa Kwala mm. Mm. in the throne room of heaven. Yeah. We will hear songs sung in Kwa Kwala. Mm. Um, and I don't speak Kwakwala. I only know like two or three words. Yeah. But I, I just found myself praying, God, when I'm in that place, I hope that I can understand and speak Kwakwala because I think something that'll be part of the reconciliation of all things. Yeah. You know, because yeah. language carries so much culture and worldview and, and whatnot. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, a sign pointing off into the future. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so how's your, how's your first nations background been an asset for your leadership in your church in Thunder Bay? Yeah. I mean, some of these pieces around uh, understanding this or, or understanding learning about this gospel of reconciliation, mm -hmm. just, Part of it is helping me to understand my own identity, but I think I'm, because I am First Nations and also white, I, I think my unique place in the, in the church is that I can mm. speak to both communities. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why our church is growing in a multi-ethnic yeah. uh, presence. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, sometimes I'll even do that. I'll be like, okay, I'm going to put on a, a, a white hat right now. <laughs> I'm going to say brothers and sisters. Yeah. This yeah. is what we do. This is what we need to, this is, this is what's going on. This is what we need to see. Or, okay. From an indigenous perspective, I think this is what's happening here. And so, um, 
there's a rec- like like a reconciling piece in there. Really, that yeah. I, I think I'm called to be a bridge in, in okay. all of it. Yeah. yeah. It's a translating one to the other piece. Mm. Yeah. Has has it hindered you in any way? Uh, no, it has no. not. Wow. No. Yeah, I have I haven't experienced any hindrance. And I think what you what you alluded to it that we're in a different moment right now in history. Yeah. There's a new openness, mm-hmm. a new understanding, and, and things have you know, historical wrongs have been brought to the light for the general Canadian population. Yeah. Uh, so there's a there, there is a new openness. It, I I haven't felt any hindrance. Uh, yeah. In fact, it seems like there are more open doors. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Um. One of the things we didn't touch on, I wonder if we could just touch on it really quickly, is uh, your husband Jay is also a pastor on your staff team. Yes. <laughs> and I, I know you guys work together at 10th Church, but uh, now you're essentially his boss. Um, <laughs> how, how's, that, how's that working out for you both? Uh, how do you make it work? Yeah. So, um, we, I mean, we worked together on the same staff team before, long yeah. enough to know how he's wired and how I'm wired and his spiritual gifts and my spiritual gifts and to know that we're different. Hmm. Um, so where I'm weak, Jay just shines and where Hmm. he's weak, those are my areas of strength. And so, so learning, learning to work with one another and not step on each other's toes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I mean, we've been married for 23 years, so He's gotten used can, to it. Yeah, yeah we, we can say to we can say to each other, "That's not in your wheelhouse." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me solve this problem. You yeah. know, or he'll be like, "Melissa, uh, let me meet with those people." Yeah, like, yeah. You're, you're not going to handle this particular thing well. I, I'm going to do it. Yeah, so, I think you said so, pastoral care is not your wheelhouse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah like. Yeah. I. I. It's. Uh, it's good. And so, um, how it works practically is we both report to the board. Okay. Uh, so, so on a day-to-day basis, I'm the lead mm. pastor, and it's like this kind of a dotted line to me. If you okay. think about an org chart yeah, with solid yeah. and dotted yeah. lines, but but Jay reports to the board, so, so the okay. board does his annual and mid-year review, and um, yeah. you know he'll meet with a, our board chair, just like I I meet with her. So yeah, um, yeah I mean it it does. We have also had to put in some pretty strict rules that. I find these sure. days actually we need to reinstitute them. Like we don't talk about work once dinner's on the table. Okay. You know, so we, we actually, we try to talk about it all on the way home and sometimes we'll drive for a really long drive because we've <laughs> got to get it out. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and we find that the biggest thing that ends up happening like the, that to our detriment is we don't, we have a hard time scheduling a meeting at work to talk about the work stuff and we end up okay. talking about it at home. And then that, then it spills yeah. into home and all that, but we try as best as we can. When dinner goes on the table, we're done hmm. talking about church. Yeah, at all. That's a good discipline. Yeah. And then uh, if we still, you know, if there's still stuff that we have to talk about, or there's an evening board meeting, or whatever, whatever it is, um, the next rule is we don't talk about it in front of our kids, mm-hmm. which also is, you know, yeah, yeah, we're not perfect at, but. Um, yeah. Pastor's kids always know far more than they really should about the inner workings of the church. But yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But you hope they pray and pray they grow to love it as much as you do. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. So we've got a, a couple of disciplines. And then when we came here, we were very much like if we're both going to work here, um, 
we need to have our holiday time together off. Mm. So it's going to be harder for the church. Right. You know? I guess. Right. Two when, leaders when, gone. Yeah. 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 You know, and when, or when it comes time for sabbatical coming down the road, we got to take our sabbatical together because it's wow. not going to feel like a sabbatical if one of us is working here still. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's very real considerations and our board was okay with that. And so, yeah. Well, it sounds like you need a third senior associate there to to cover the bases while you're. Yeah, while we're actually in happen. the process of uh, looking for an executive pastor. So, if anybody listening is yeah, called okay. to be a, be an executive pastor, we're we're working on that job description right now. That's right. Yeah. So Canada's winter wonderland. Uh, yeah. Tons of trees, good mountains, twenty minutes <laughs> to the slopes, and yep. not as much rain year round as Vancouver. No, sunny, sunny all winter. (laughs) And a lake the size of an ocean. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Oh, good. Well, um, we'll we'll post on there contact information for you um, if you're okay with that. How would people, how how could people get in touch with you? Uh, Do we just direct them to the website? Yeah. Yep. Website's good. Yeah. Our contact info there is there and... uh, yeah, Jay, uh, we didn't really talk much about Jay, but Jay is also a spiritual director. Mm, okay. Um, and he provides spiritual direct- direction to pastors primarily. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think he has room for anybody new now, but maybe he does. I don't know. Anyway, he has a real passion for the health of pastors. Mm. Uh, and um, and so, um, yeah, he's always he's always open to connecting with yeah, at, at whatever stage. Sure. With pastors. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. In the walk. Yeah. And and we all need that. So, yeah, but by all means. Uh, and that he can get contact on the website as well. Yeah. Yeah. We're both yeah. on our website. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, this this has been great. I, I wonder if we could close with you um, maybe sharing with our listeners. Uh, some of our leaders might be going through a major crisis in their ministry right now. Um, I wonder if you could give a final word of encouragement to them. Yeah. Um, I knew you were going to ask this, so I'm praying about this for the last uh, couple of days. God, what, what word of encouragement do you have for anybody who's listening? And what came to mind is, um, a story from scripture that has been a pretty key story for, for me, for us, Mm. um, back when we were at 10th and even here, here at Redwood, especially it's from second Chronicles 20. Uh, and, um, uh, King, King Jehoshaphat, I mean, if you go back in second Chronicles 18, he's, he, he was with King Ahab and he saw how not to lead, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, not listening to the Lord, not listening to the prophets, um, charging ahead in your own steam and your own plans without turning to the Lord. And then you get to second Chronicles 20 and disasters coming. Yeah. Um, he, he's received word that the armies are coming and he doesn't know what to do. Um, and he, he begins to lament and cry out to the Lord. And what I, what has been so formational for me in this is that he calls all of Judah together at the temple, like, like every person, um, men, women, children together to cry out to the Lord. And then he prays this really long and expensive prayer mm-hmm. and in, in view of everybody. So everybody hears this prayer that he's praying and he's the king. Uh, and, um, 
So he, you know, he's reminding God of God's promises and what God promised to do. And if we follow you and yada, yada, yada. And then he gets to the end and he says, uh, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Hmm. And there's this beautiful permission there as pastors and as leaders to humbly admit before people that we don't know what we're doing, <laughs> you know? So like crisis comes and we yeah. got, we know, we're in this new world of ministry and really, honestly, nobody knows what is coming and we yeah. don't, you know, we're kind of like building the airplane while we're flying in the air yeah. Yeah. and the most appropriate prayer to not just for ourselves, but in view of our people that we're leading Mm-hmm. Is we don't know what to do, God, but our eyes are on you. Yeah. There's this yeah. humility that's modeled and it takes us as the pastors off the pedestal. You know, we're not the people that have to solve it. It's actually Jesus is the head of the church. I saw yeah. our eyes are on you, Jesus. You gotta come through because this army's coming and we have no idea how to how to handle this. And then I mean, once you watch that after that prayer happens, you just start seeing um things begin to happen. Like a prophet stands up with a word. And and this prophet stands up with this word that says, this battle is not yours, but God's. And you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord he will, that he will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Uh, and uh, and then when they do go out the next day, King Jehoshaphat puts the worshipers at the front of the line. Mm. Uh, the worshipers are in front of all of the warriors. Yeah. And, and they're praying, and it says that as they began to sing and praise, the Lord said ambushes against the opposing armies. So they really did nothing. They they prayed, they listened um, to how God was speaking, and in this case, it's through a prophet, mm-hmm. and they worship. And God did what only God can do. And I think that we're in this. I think that's where we're at. Yeah. And yeah, I find incredible freedom so in this. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Well, thank you for that word. Um, and thank you for your time. I really appreciate this conversation and I know it's going to be uh, a blessing to our leaders as, as they hear it. So we'll have to get you back here on the podcast again sometime in the future. And, yeah. uh, yeah, thanks for being with us. Yeah. Yeah. And thank we'll you for all that soon. you're doing and, uh, yeah. providing this space for us to learn from one another. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Bless you. We'll see you again soon. Bye. You've been listening to the Church of the North podcast, a production of Briarcrest College and Seminary. For more information about the podcast, visit churchinthenorth.ca. To learn more about Briarcrest, visit briarcrest.ca. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard today, please share this episode with other ministry leaders. 